Now, those of you married know there are very few words more powerful, more scary, more profound than when you make your vows on wedding day. I take you for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and health. I promise to love and to cherish you till death do us part. Powerful commitment. Divorce is not supposed to be an option. But today, many people are afraid to make a commitment. They think about all the what-ifs. What if I change? What if he or she changes? What if our feelings change? What if we have too many disagreements? What if we change what we want out of life? What if he starts leaving his clothes on the floor? What if he thinks the toilet paper is supposed to go under instead of over the way the Bible clearly says it should? These are what-ifs that paralyze people with fear, so they tend to say, I think it might be best, maybe safer, just to avoid commitment, not to keep it, maybe just put it off. So people will move in together, they'll put off marriage, they'll hook up, but they won't date. <clears throat> they take relationships unseriously. People are looking for the no-strings-attached, friends with benefits, or Netflix and chill, which I have suddenly been informed has nothing to do with watching TV. <laughs> so be careful on that one. Little did I know. It's interesting because technology makes it more and more convenient. It used to be when you wanted to ask a girl out or a guy, you actually had to pick up the dumb phone and call them. It took guts. It took courage. You had to reach for the phone, and it was attached to the wall, and you had a 30-foot cord. You remember that? Ah, but today we got apps and websites, and you can meet up, hook up, shack up, and break up, all with the touch of a button. So here's the thing. Technology is not our problem. It's our way of thinking about commitment and relationships that's our problem. There's real data on this that can kind of support this fact. The marriage rate in the United States over the last 30 years is reported to be declining. A survey from 2010 showed almost half the young adults between 18 and 29 think marriage has become obsolete. So it appears we're replacing for better or worse with I take you at least until I don't want you anymore. You know, it's interesting. Over 2 million weddings will take place this year. Statistics say about half will make it to 15 years. That doesn't include the number of couples who stay married, but whose commitment has gotten real cold or maybe real distant. You know, here's the thing. This is more than just about statistics. It's about people. It's about you. It's about me. It's about our heart and our lives. And it's about what we feel matters the most. Some of you are single. Some of you are married. Some of you are single, but you want to be married. Some of you are in a relationship. Some of you are just out of a relationship. Some of you are in a kind of a friends with benefits thing. Some of you are friends with no benefits, which sounds worse. Actually, it's a lot healthier. Some of you maybe have lost somebody you love. So there are different questions we have to wrestle with. So why does commitment actually matter? Question one. Two, what does it look like? And three, how do we keep our commitments? So let's look at point one. Why should people commit to one another? Well, God created it and created you for it. It's God's plan for all of us. Yeah, it's risky. 
Yeah, you might get hurt sometimes. Yeah, the relationship might annoy you at some times, but it's more risky not to commit. There's a, there's a project of research called the Grant Study. It began in 1938 at Harvard University. 268 individuals were studied for over 75 years from their teenage years into their 80s and 90s. And the goal was very simple. They wanted to find out what produces lasting happiness, which parts of life will actually produce lasting joy and contentment, which would be a great thing to know. Well, they followed these individuals for 75 years. They followed their health records, medical records. They did brain scans. They interviewed spouses and family. They created tens of thousands of pages of research. And here's what they found. They found that happiness did not increase with greater wealth or more success or higher achievement. They also found happiness had nothing to do with fame or reputation or even social impact, even the amount of difference a person could make in the world. What they found was happiness correlated consistently over and over and over through a lifetime through lasting relationships. Wow, what a friend. George Valiant who led this study for over 30 years, said their research proved there are two pillars of happiness. And these are his words, and I quote, one is love, the other is finding a way of coping with life that doesn't push love away. In other words, happiness found in committed relationships and love and living in such a way that doesn't run, doesn't hide, doesn't break, but keeps close committed relationships which should be no surprise because Scripture has been teaching us this for thousands of years. Nothing new. When God created human beings, He said, it's not good for you to be alone. Uh, I know it's used in a wedding, but it's not about just wedding. It's about relationships. It, God sets the solitary in families, Psalm 68.1. God doesn't do anything with people alone. You've got to have a connection. Adam lived in a perfect world, a perfect culture but he lacked a meaningful relationship, not just a casual hookup, friends with benefits, but he lacked a committed relationship, somebody who was committed to him and somebody he was committed to. And the text goes on to frame it this way. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother, you hope, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's the language of commitment. Uh, the King James talks about leaving and cleaving. The man leaves father and mother, cleaves to the wife. That cleaving portrays the context of a risky stepping out and making a commitment. Because in that day, home was not just where you lived until you went to college or in our context today till you're 30 or 40 living with mommy and daddy. What? are you thinking? Yeah. Home was a place for education, economic stability, and learning a trade. To leave your father and mother was to step out and put your life and livelihood at risk, all for the sake of a commitment. See, from the very beginning, God designed all of us to live in a context of committed relationships. And it's a good thing. God made it, and He made you and I for it. Secondly, what kind of commitment are we talking about? I'm not just talking about marriage, 
A lot of people feel like if they're single, they can't have a committed relationship. Wrong. Look at Jesus. He was single. How did he live out commitment in his life? He did it through committed friendships, not having a large social network, not having 10,000 friends on Facebook, not making sure he had the most likes on Instagram, but committed friendships. Now, a lot of rabbis would teach, would lead, cast vision, but Jesus focused on friendship. Have you ever noticed that through his life, he had close friends, committed friends. He had 12 disciples. He would stay with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, very deep, intimate friends. He needed just a close few friends, people he was committed to and people he would spend time with, people he was loyal to. And he once told them directly, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. You know, I think about John who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple who knew there was a deep friendship with this person. And we see this loyalty played out even in the most difficult moments. When Judas comes to betray Jesus, he brings soldiers to arrest him, and Jesus says to him, do what you came for, friend. See, I think Jesus is expressing what's true for him, that Judas is still his friend. Even when Judas isn't loyal to him, Jesus is loyal to Judas. Jesus understands the practice and value of committed relationship, even when this man turns on him and gives him the kiss of betrayal. Didn't Jesus say, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you? Wow, you, you don't find many people like that in anything earthly. Do what you came for, friend. My friendship with you hadn't changed. My loyalty to you hasn't changed. My love for you has not changed. Now, most of us long for somebody who knows us, who cares for us. Really. Even Dean Martin knows you're nobody till somebody loves you. <laughs> come on, come on. You don't know that song? I love Dean Martin. Sorry about that. You know, according to a study in 2006, one out of it, Jim, you know it. You're old enough to know. You used to watch the silent movies. Okay, I know him. Yeah. In 2006, one out of every four Americans lacks a close friendship, a best friend, meaning they don't have somebody in their life they can call. They don't have somebody to turn to in a crisis or pain or tragedy. One out of four. Let me pause and say, folks, that ain't okay. Every now and then I hear about somebody, the meter reader went by and smelled a bad odor. And somebody was found inside the house has been de decomposing for six weeks. How did nobody miss you? Nobody checked on you? How do you end up sitting on a curb? We'll work for food. Nobody to care for you? You got to work hard to do that. That's not even normal. You need, that's why God puts you in a natural family and then God puts you in a spiritual family. So you have people, and if you didn't have a natural family, God brings you into a spiritual family, the church, so you have a spiritual father who loves you unconditionally, people who love you, who can help you, can come to your rescue and aid to encourage you. It's never supposed to be, I don't have anybody. That's your fault. He that has many friends must show himself friendly, you old grouch. You walk in, you walk out, you don't meet anybody, you don't greet anybody, you just like coming into a rock concert. You just got seat 2A, you sit your behind down, and as soon as it's over, you leave. 
You don't build any friendship. You won't have anybody there for you. And you will regret that when you get old. Having a few close friends you can live and die with is rare. My friend Bobby Davis over here took one of our members who had a stroke and drove him all the way to Houston for a brain scan, couldn't drive himself, and brought him back. I'm sure Bobby had other things he could have done running his own business, but that's the kind of a friend he is. Do you have anybody who would drive you to Houston and back without saying, oh, I don't know, I've got several commitments, I don't know if I can get away and do it. See, the kind of friend we're talking about doesn't care what the other commitments are. We'll break them to serve you. Nobody, I got meetings, I got plans. I'll cancel those plans. I'll cancel those meetings. See, Proverbs 18.24 puts it this way. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let me ask you, who is that friend in your life? Who is that person in your life? And for some of you, it could be why you're here this weekend. God's kind of nudging you to say, you need to focus on relationships and friendships in your life. You can't go it alone. Don't do that anymore. Who is that friend in your life? And then, equally important, for whom are you that kind of a friend? Not everybody, but for whom? See, to whom have you given permission to call you at any time, to ask you for anything, to interrupt your busy life with a request, a need, something you need to make a sacrifice for, to tell you the whole truth, not just the truth you want to hear? That's going to slim the crowd down. John 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than to lay his life down for his friends. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men gets wiser. Who are you hanging around? But a companion of stupid people suffers harm. You know, deep calls to deep and stupid always calls to stupid. Just see who they hook up with. It's it's a law. It's inevitable. You want to go higher in life? You want to get smarter in life? Find smart people. Hang out with them. Join their home group. Get connected in their ministry. Learn what they know. Wisdom can be learned. You don't have to stay dumb. You can learn. You know, when I got married, Cindy and I were both dumb when it came to marriage. But with God's grace and not killing each other and a lot of seminars, we learn. We learn what won't work. We learn what's best. And we start implementing that and get smarter and your marriage gets a little better. But if you just stay stupid... The result's going to be catastrophic, inevitable. You know, I think all of us lack, you know, we we long for, but some people lack a good friendship, maybe because you're too focused on career, getting ahead, or your reputation. Now, those things are okay, but they can't replace your need for committed friendship. We see it in Jesus' life. We need committed friends. He had them. You need them. In addition to friendship, there are some of you who are in a different season of life. Some of you are now single, but you're looking for somebody to commit to. So what kind of commitment is important here? Almost all of the messages you hear about dating are about the commitment to find the right person, how to find the right person. There's actually a show on TV right now where a man or a woman will actually date 20 people at the same time under the guise of finding the right person. Anybody know what show I'm talking about? Don't look at me like I'm the only one that's seen it. (laughs) 
Most people think a healthy relationship is all about finding the right person as if our job is just to narrow down the menu. But the truth is, a healthy relationship involves two people who are both committed to becoming the right person. See, who are you? Who are you willing to become? And who are you choosing to become? Man, I read a painful story about a young woman who grew up in a religious home. She went to church. She tried to be the good girl. She thought that was the way she's going to meet the right one and find the right person, but it just didn't happen. So she struggled to find the right person. So she took a different approach. She kind of immersed herself in the hookup culture. She had a lot of casual one-night stands and encounters. She said she could hardly remember them. She thought eventually she'd just find that person if she kept putting herself out there, had a good time, until one night at a party, she met a man who had everything she wanted. He was attractive, humble, talented, charismatic, and had deep faith. But their conversation, she said, didn't go anywhere. He didn't seem that interested in me. And then she wrote this. She went home that night and had this very painful epiphany. She realized the man she was looking for wasn't looking for a woman like her. She said it was one of the most painful but life-changing gifts to wake her up to the fact that her journey towards commitment wasn't just about being out there, having a good time, thinking I'll just get lucky and happen on the right person. It was about her need to commit to becoming the right person. So she started to take it seriously. She started to work on her character, change some of her friendships. She got out of the hookup scene. She even got a counselor, and she began to prepare herself for the commitment she wanted to make. She wanted to become who the person she was looking for was looking for, and it changed her life, and it'll change your life. And just to say it, it kind of while we're on the subject, that's why God's plan for sex as an expression of a life-uniting commitment is so, so important and probably misunderstood by a lot of people. Think about it. What kind of intimacy do you want? The intimacy of knowing a person isn't committed to you? The, the intimacy of them saying, I take you at least until tomorrow? Is that what you want? Is that what this is about until tomorrow? I think girls have a, let me, let me stop a minute. I think girls have a lot more to lose. Men don't have a lot to lose. Women have to be the housewife. They have to bear the children. They have to let, they have to give their body, their eggs. They have, they, they, they bear a lot more stress than men. And don't be looking at me weird, men. I'll dare you lay on a table and pump out a baby and do the cooking and do the cleaning of the house and then be a breadwinner in the house. God forgive you. You don't have the canales to do that. So I'm saying to the girls, don't sell yourself short. Don't hook up with a guy who can't pay your bills and give you the life you deserve. Every woman, regardless of your income or socioeconomical standing, deserves at least a good purse, a nice outfit, nice pair of shoes, and a little bit of jewelry. And if that sucker can't provide that, you're out of here. You're off the island if you can't take care of me. And why would you give yourself to live with somebody who won't commit to you while you're giving him your body, your eggs, your time, your life source. What's that sucker giving you? 
I don't care. You've got a lot to lose. Don't sell yourself cheap. You make him. Boy, in the Old Testament, they had to show up with camels. And those camels were loaded with jewelry and fine fabrics and all kinds of gifts. And even then, it wasn't a guarantee you're going to get the girl. Now, as a daddy, I kind of wish whoever marries my girls had to show up with 10 camels because you're losing an asset in the family when you lost the daughter and you got recompense for it. Some Old Testament stuff ain't that bad. <laughs> daddy, daddy got to choose the spouse. I, the older I get, the more that looks good to me. I actually, for some of our young single and adult single women whom I love like my own, I wish I could do that. They'd just bring them in and say, okay, give me an evaluation on him. What do you think? <laughs> and then I heard this. I'm off course now. I'm way off course here. <laughs> I'm way off notes too. I, I'll come back. I, I found out the other day from some of our girls that when you get invited out on a date, you split the bill. You split the bill? This loser can't pay for your hamburger? He can't pay for your movie and deal? We're going Dutch? No, you're going alone. I ain't going Dutch. I'm not paying my own bill. If he hadn't got enough money to take you out, he ain't got enough money to take you in. Yeah, right? Okay. I'll swap a little buff for a better job and somebody who loves me intensely and is committed to me. You may be committed to them. Are they committed to you? Do they share your faith? Our faith is the biggest part of our life. It may not be your career, but it's the biggest part of our life. We're people of faith in the kingdom of God. And if that loser can't even go to church, what are you doing hooked up with him? Can you walk together unless you're agreed? God will not bless an unequally, be not unequally yoked together. That can be Christians. They're Christians that don't have your values, don't have your vision, your dream. Don't hook up with them. They may be going to heaven, but they're not going where you want to go. So be real, be careful about that. It's a test. Okay, back to my notes. A lot of people, Bible, they think the Bible doesn't get it. But, but here's the thing. Secularly, Studies today confirm people who sleep together, live together, are actually less dedicated before and even after they marry, if they marry at all. In other words, that journey, that decision doesn't lead towards a healthier, committed relationship. It actually leads us away from that, is which why God designed sex to be part of a life, united, committed relationship. Now, is it countercultural? Heck yeah. Uh, will everybody uh, think you're strange? Yeah. Not as many as you think, but yeah. Will it take hard work, honest conversations, a lot of trust in God? Absolutely. But will it give you the best chance at a lifetime of connection, commitment, trust, and intimacy? Absolutely. Which raises a great question. What if I've fallen short, Rick? What if I've messed it up? What if I'm in a relationship not healthy? Well, listen, take Jesus' life into account. Think about how he treated people whose relationships were far from perfect, which is, by the way, 
everybody, all right? There was grace, there was love, there was listening, there was acceptance, and there was a vision He gave of life, a better way of life He would call people to and empower them to live. And that's an invitation for a lot of you. You can't do this alone, but with Jesus' help, all things are possible or else let's cut that verse out of the Bible. And lastly, I want to touch on marriage commitments. You know, marriage is not only an expression of the commitment God calls people into, it's a beautiful, rich, and challenging picture of what faithfulness is really like. It's two people saying to each other, I take you for better or for worse, and not just on my wedding day. Yeah, it's interesting. People spend a lot of money and a lot of time planning a wedding and very little time preparing themselves for marriage. We think, oh, it's about making a commitment. Really? No, it's not. It's about how to keep the commitment. Everybody makes one. Yes, I do. I do. But they don't keep it. That's the issue. And that's not easy day after day. We all have to forgive the other person. We have to be courageous. Occasionally, we have to say hard things to the other person or have a hard conversation. We have to learn to listen. We have to shift our priorities. We have to make sacrifices occasionally for the other person. I know it's messy. I know it's hard. I know a lot of you have been through a broken marriage or betrayal, and those things are not always clean and simple and tidy like we'd want them to be. But in the process of keeping commitments, something deeper and greater is actually forged in our lives. And it's this beautiful thing called trust. So here's the thing. You can't live without trust. You can't live your life and trust no one. It feels safer. feels easier. Some of you have been burned, and so you're thinking, I'll just step back. I don't want to trust anybody anymore. Bad move. Bad move. You can't live that way. I, I give everybody trust at the start. Now, I don't trust the government. <laughs> I don't trust the State Department. I don't trust, I don't trust them. Every administration lies. And you're crazy to believe. You know, if I was talking to somebody the other day. If your Christian faith and the Word of God does not at times contradict your political party, you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're a disciple of your political party because His Word will slap both of them in places, and you have to have the guts to challenge that, and most don't. See? Well, how do I learn to trust, Rick? How do I build trust? Well, that's where commitment is so important. There's a writer named Lewis Meads, and he has this book called Learning to Live the Love We Promised. And he writes about it this way. He says, it takes personal commitment to create trust. Our commitment is to someone in caring love is the only guarantee we can give. It's the only basis for trust. That's why God created marriage. That's why God created committed friendships. So we could love and be loved. So we could trust and be trusted. So we could forgive and be forgiven. And I have to say, I hear this a lot, the perspective that commitment is restrictive or confining. I'm going to lose my freedom. What kind of freedom lies down the road if there's nobody you can count on, no one you can depend on, or no one who's going to be there for you? That's it. See, commitment doesn't lead to less freedom. It leads to more freedom. It's not less secure. It's more secure, which leads to our third question and last, which is, how do you do it? How do you keep your commitments? On our own, you can't. I don't have enough strength in this human flesh to do it. 
I've watched people try, but you can't do it on your own. God did not create committed relationships so we could live on our own without Him. He created committed relationships so we could recognize every day our need for Him, for His love, for His mercy, for His forgiveness, and for His renewal, or you won't make it. I love how it's framed in the New Testament. John says, we love Him because He first loved us. And the most important word in that verse is not love. It's the word first. Jesus went first. Jesus went first. He committed to you and me first. He made a promise to you first. And before you step into any relationship of any kind, Jesus made a promise to you first that He would never leave you, that He would never turn His face on you, that He would never walk away from you, that He would always be there. Wow, total commitment. I know life gets messy. Come on. Some of you are in a marriage that doesn't feel like it used to. Maybe it's colder. Maybe it's callous. Some of you have been holding on to a scorecard in your relationship, you know, where you kind of keep a tally of who's done more rights than wrongs. Some of you may be living with a secret or a source of shame, and you just feel like you can't tell anybody. Some of you are working so hard to raise kids or get ahead in your work, you feel like the relationship is just a distant second priority. Some of you are going through a divorce. Some of you have been through a divorce, and your conversation may be like, you know, I'm not sure how this applies to me. I'm not sure God has been faithful to me. I'm not sure I can find forgiveness or forgive someone else. You know, some of you are not married, but you want to be. This just raises bitterness and resentment. So whatever the case, whatever the story, whatever the high, whatever the low, we begin and end with the gospel, the good news, that God made a promise to you first. His yes is stronger than your no. His grace is more powerful than your sin, your shame, or your brokenness. His commitment keeps you even when your commitments fail, and of course, all of ours do. God who is committed to us, who gave His life for us, Jesus on the cross said, not just I love you, I forgive you, but I take you for better or worse. That's His promise to everyone this morning. I take you for better or for worse. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.